Welcome back, everybody. My name is Simon, and this is the Brubble Podcast, a podcast that explores perspectives from in and around the Brussels bubble. Today, we're bringing you one of the biggest buzzwords that has ever existed, the blockchain. But behind all this buzz is a legitimate innovation with the potential to impact and change our digital and non-digital worlds. So what is the blockchain? How is Europe using this innovation? And more importantly, is blockchain regulation area we'll be hearing of more in the near future. To help me, you know, dive into the code of this is Tommaso. Tommaso, how do you do today? Very good. Thank you. And, and thank you so much for the invitation. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm re- we're recording this during the World Cup. And I would have asked you, how are you excited about <laughs> this? And uh, That's not a great start. Uh, exactly. I know. I should have. I mean, I have two teams in there. You have zero. But uh, <laughs> anyways, apologies about that. But you were recently in Italy. You're looking quite uh, rejuvenated, I suppose. How I was your trip? <laughs> yes, very good. Thank you. I went back to Rome, where I'm from, and which also explains, as we we're saying, I'm one of the many Italians working in Brussels bubble. Um, and yeah, Italy is always great. The weather was obviously much better than in Brussels, as usual. But, uh, you know, back now in the city and ready to get back to work of course of course i would ask you really quickly i mean we're going way off tangents what's your one rome recommendation in november oh <laughs> that's that, a good one that's a interesting question that it i is, never get it is i mean november is probably not the best month to go to rome if you go to in june that would be probably the best time to go in the year where uh, yeah. the weather is nice and everybody's out and about november is still nice and i have to say if you're lucky you can still get some uh, sunshine go to the beach or actually just stroll around in the city uh, walk around well, well, if you go to Rome in November just go to Trastevere just have a drink there that's always going to be nice yeah my, I'm really diverting here maybe I'll edit some of this <laughs> out but I went to Rome once one of my favorite places to go was the Botanical Gardens Ooh. I think, did I mention this to you? yeah I think you, yeah. We, we were talking about it last time that, they have a really great selection is, of plants so that's my insider tip that's, one, that's a very good one but uh, talking about insider tips and <laughs> tricks before we talk about blockchain, we need to talk about what you do in life, why you're a respected expert to have on here to talk about blockchain well, and your thank you and for everything that. else. That's very flattering, Simon. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, um, I'm just a consultant basically working at Upco Worldwide. And uh, after I came to Brussels actually a few years ago after finishing my studies in the Netherlands, in Maastricht, shout out actually to the Maastricht University for the great preparation uh, that gives to the students before coming to Brussels. And yeah, I've been working as a consultant on there, Apco Worldwide is a PA agency uh, which actually manages the secretariat of Blockchain for Europe, which is actually why I'm here today. And Blockchain for Europe, very briefly, is a trade association or lobby group that represents the blockchain and crypto sector. It was founded in 2018. And now I am the head of regulatory affairs of this uh, association. Well, congratulations. Thanks. I always find that blockchain is a really interesting topic because I went to a big tech university and half the people there were really into blockchain. And you know exactly who they were. But what I find fascinating about you is you're not really from a developing or coding background. Nope. You're from a policy background. Indeed. So beyond your fixation on losing money, how <laughs> did you get interested in blockchain and crypto and all like that stuff? <laughs> well, I have to say that's probably <laughs> the, the main reason. I probably, when I think about how it all started, I have to either blame or thank my first flatmate that I had in the Netherlands in Maastricht. Really? And he got into crypto very early in 2016 and he was you know, playing out with his you know, digital asset money that somehow we're going to 
change the world and and revolutionize everything. And in the meantime, while waiting for this to change the world, you could actually make some money out of it. So that was the the start of it. He got me into it. And that feeling of being early compared to the rest of the world is actually what got me hooked. Mm. Um, And that's when I started reading about it online, trying to understand the blockchain technology and discovering all that people were actually planning to do with it. So that's what really got me interested in this whole topic. Yeah, definitely interesting. And that now you're working as head of regulatory affairs for the EU, I believe, uh, for blockchain for Europe, yep. which is quite a fascinating position to be in. And it a is. position in itself, which has you really primed to tell us a bit about what the blockchain is and, I mean, what that means for the EU and our regulatory agenda going forward. But, of course, firstly, I've mentioned blockchain how many times now? Eight, yeah. nine? Yeah, quite a few. <laughs> and I still, myself, need a good explanation of what the blockchain is. So, Tommaso using all your professional accumulated knowledge. Hmm. What is the blockchain? Can you give me the two-minute spiel? Oof, that's uh, definitely not an easy challenge, but I'll, I'll give it a try. Um, look, in my opinion, the easiest comparison that we can try to make to have a bit of an understanding of what we're talking about is with the internet in general, right? So the web as we know it, it is basically built as a network composed of centralized servers to which users and different computers from across the globe connect to these servers to access online services, apps, platforms, whatever. Yeah. So that's how the internet, the web 2, actually, as we know it, and we're going to get to the web 2, web 3 in a second, but basically blockchain technology is at the foundation is what we call now web And Web3 is really the third revolution of the internet, which basically means a different way of connecting users. Instead of having a centralized network, a centralized server, this is done through a decentralized network that does not require any centralized server or intermediary for them, for this user to access services, exchange information and value as the network is actually public, transparent and immutable. Okay, so... When we have this decentralized network, the, the blockchain in a sense, what are the benefits then to the user uh, when they're using it? So wh- why would I want to be looking at the blockchain as a, as a concept? As a concept, what really, like, we would have to go into the details of how it actually works. It prob- probably takes a bit of time, but they th- I think the, the main things to, to keep in mind is really that this blockchain, this new network, this decentralized way of connecting people is public, as I said, so everybody can actually see everything that happens on a blockchain, is transparent, again, and it's immutable. And this is really these three concepts that come from the technology itself, how it actually works and it's run. Um, but then by having, by achieving these three things, you already eliminates a lot of the issues that we have right now in how we are currently uh, connecting users, exchanging information, which again is done through intermediaries. And that's probably the key word that we can focus on, intermediaries. The idea is that once you connect users through a blockchain network, you don't need these intermediaries. And intermediaries can be anything, can be our bank that actually allows me to transact value to you. Um, And in a blockchain network, there is no central bank that we need to have that transaction of value. I can directly transact value to you. And because of this, the blockchain is actually public and transparent and immutable, as we said, I can trust the fact that that transaction will go through. I can trust the information that you're sending me and I can trust everything, all the activities that we're doing on this blockchain network. So that's really also the other key word, the trust. It's basically, we call it a trustless system because you Mm -hmm. don't actually need anybody to validate 
to uh, be able to, uh, to validate someone, to validate an activity, to validate their transactions, to be actually able to trust uh, that transaction activity or that other user that you are interacting with. Yeah, very interesting. So it's very much just empowering an individual in many regards by taking, yeah. getting rid of all those intermediaries, which, I mean, normally work well in your favor, but there's a chance, you know, there's all, and there's always, you know, the extra costs and exactly. stuff like that associated. And also maybe if I can add there is that when you eliminate intermediaries, you're still talking, intermediaries are still human people, right? So yeah. we are talking about humans that can com commit errors. And if you eliminate that, uh, level of human interaction that is needed, you eliminate also those potential errors and mistakes and frauds even. And, you know, we can get to frauds in a moment because it's, it's a big topic right now. Uh, but, you know, again, the idea is that if you manage to have this network, this connection of users that can basically interact with each other without the need of these centralized intermediaries, they can basically, uh, again, trust each other, uh, do uh, interact with each other without having to go through anything uh, that is allowing them to um, you know, validate their transactions or anything like that. And I, again, I don't know how deep we want to go into the topic because we could talk about it a lot. Maybe a couple of things that I would like to mention just to give a bit more of an yeah. understanding of what we're talking about. We probably don't need to go into the whole um, explanation of how the blockchain actually works. Um, mm -hmm. A very quick one would be that it's a distributed ledger technology where a ledger, uh, so a registry of all the transactions and activities that happen on the network, again, is not stored on a centralized server, but it's distributed across the network so that each node slash user has the same copy of it. Mm -hmm. And why is it called the blockchain? It's actually because after one block is created and closed, another one is created, filled with information, and once that is also closed, is uh, closed, is connected to the first block in a chain. So that is why. Yeah, very, very literal in many regards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, a decent overview of what the blockchain is, I guess, at its most surface level, in a sense, than what we need to operate with as, I suppose, more policy-focused individuals. Yeah. One of the things, and, and you hinted towards the controversies nowadays, is that blockchain and crypto are always interlinked, at least in my mind. Is that a good connection to make? And really, what's the relationship between blockchain and crypto? Because I suppose, as I understand it, blockchain is kind of the technology which crypto functions off. Is, is there... Is that a good parallel to make? Is that a good explanation? It's a good explanation, indeed, because that's actually how it works. So cryptocurrencies are tokens that are created through blockchain technology. Uh, the point here is that um, it's an in inevitable parallel to make because of this reason. The, the way I would describe it is that the cryptocurrency side of things is a, the speculative aspect of it. So right now we know that this the blockchain technology might actually have a lot of interesting applications in the future. A lot of these projects could actually have a great future. And so the projects themselves, they issue uh, cryptocurrencies because that's actually the currencies that will be used in their future application, future service. So it's kind of like buying stock in a company in a sense. More or less, which, yeah. uh, but that's also another interesting parallel to make and a dangerous one sometimes because as there soon as go. you talk about stocks, then you talk about securities and that's yeah. the whole debate that is in the US, for example. So really, again, uh, the two things go together, makes sense to talk about them in the same, uh, somehow in the same way. But what I will really invite all your uh, listeners to focus on is mm -hmm. the blockchain technology, right? So that, yeah. is the, that is really the cool thing that we should be looking out for. Yeah, exactly. In, in talking about the blockchain technology in itself, is there maybe a few examples of innovative uses of blockchain nowadays? Maybe even ones that we're using that, but we're not aware of? 
Uh, very much so. Uh, well, the technology itself really has the potential to be applied to so many different sectors, yeah. not just the financial services one and products that we are right now focusing on or the gaming industry, which are the most obvious ones. Uh, but in general, if we think about this new way of um, basically a decentralized distribution of information, this means that we can reinvent more or less every kind of service, networks and products that we currently access through these intermediaries. And we can reinvent them to be completely decentralized, making them trustless, as we were saying, secure, as no single entity can actually corrupt the system. And also, what other, another thing that is interesting to, to highlight is that the ultimate goal is also to bring back users in control of their own data and activity online, in a, in a sense that right now, we are somehow at the mercy sometimes of big tech corporations that use our data for yeah. their commercial purposes. And with a decentralized uh, distribution of information, this will not happen because you will be in control of your own data and your own activity. And um, talking about use cases and examples that already exist out there, I would say that actually you, we probably wouldn't even realize that the underlying technology of the many companies and services that we use every day from the tech companies or payment providers or banks, but also, for example, in Italy, there was an interesting project with our postal services. Really? Yes, very, very surprising looking at the status of our postal services, <laughs> but I have to say it was really interesting to see. And all these different services and companies, they are just in the background without you even realizing they're changing the underlying technology that they use because they find value in it, they find some potential application that can solve some of the issues that they have right now. And so the average EU citizen in the end might not even realize that the underlying technology of the apps on their phones has fundamentally changed, but that doesn't mean that it's not happening or that they shouldn't care about it. Yeah, because I'm always surprised by things that we think are foreign concepts, but then they end up existing underneath like the mail we send out or I don't know, the, the most common like app I keep using like the one I keep to look at the football scores. But uh, <laughs> regardless, I'm well, too one obsessed day, nowadays. One day your football score <laughs> app might actually run on a blockchain. That's And you won't even realize. That's the beauty of it. Exactly, exactly. Well, we're talking about some projects that exist underlying us. What are some of the most ex exciting, innovative, transformative projects, for instance, that exist nowadays, which I think the average you know, EU uh, Brussels bubble person should keep an eye on? Well, there is a lot of interesting applications. I have to say, if I think about the ones that excite me the most, um, I was always very fascinated of how the logistics and supply chain management sector is actually using blockchain or it's exploring how blockchain can actually help, uh, you know, innovating their sector. For example, like a major complaint in the shipping industry is that there is a lack of communication transparency due to the large number of companies that are actually crowding the space. And blockchain can actually solve many of the problems that are plaguing the logistics and supply chain management through the data transparency, and which in the end makes the logistic process leaner, more automated, and the transparency of the blockchain and the immutability of the information on it allows you to basically have a perfect track record of every single movement of each single component in your supply chain in a completely automated way, which obviously can really change things in that kind of sector. But for example, another super interesting area of application of blockchain technology is healthcare. And yeah. this is one that also policymakers are really noticing, right? So mm -hmm. they know that the healthcare system is somehow very siloed and all the information are somehow stored on 
separated servers and databases of different institutions and a very you know that that's kind of uh, is not allowing uh, the medical industry to actually use all that data that is generated across the globe to actually reach new technological innovations in yeah. the healthcare system and so the the blockchain would actually fa- facilitate the customizable openness while opal upholding only the best security standards for their interoperability and that's you know allow the health information system to work together within and across organizational boundaries in order to advance the effective delivery of healthcare for individuals and communities it's very interesting, I have to say, when looking at it. And the last thing I want to mention is something that is probably maybe coming up. We're going to see more and more of these projects, for example, on, and this is something that's a bit more tangible also for the people yeah. listening to us. Decentralized social media applications. Really? Really cool thing. And for example, uh, the Lens Protocol is already a very good example out there. And basically, this is just is going to f- fundamentally change our relationship and interaction with social media platforms, our way of sharing and producing content, monetizing it, because, it, again, it, the idea is, the objective is to bring back users in control. So content creators will actually be able to create their content and receive uh, the compensation for it just because they are owning that content, they choose how to sell it, they choose where to share it. So it's a whole different approach to also our relationship, again, with social media platforms. Yeah, no, that's that's some pretty exciting (laughs) advances in different fields. I want to ask to, I mean, pivoting more towards, I guess, our place in the in the, the heart of the EU. What's the role that EU institutions, when it comes to these innovations, be it healthcare, social media, shipping and transportation, where does, I guess, our regulatory arm like extend towards, and should it extend that way? It probably should, in the sense that the European Union is. Uh, on a good path to realize that this technology really has a great potential for so many different applications and sectors. And so, as it's often said in the bubble, you know, I would say that the main job of the institution is to strike the right balance between introducing a regulatory framework that actually protects users because yeah. from the risks that actually exist when uh, you know operating in certain areas and uh, performing certain activities but at the same time they should this regulatory framework should be welcoming this technological development and allowing this nascent industry to thrive and establish in Europe and to be honest we are as blockchain for Europe we have always been advocating for this kind of approach because we realize that we have a great chance as Europe to lead in this web3 revolution after yeah. we actually completely lost the battles in the web <laughs> one and web two where you know obviously we are all, most of the services and online apps that we use are not from Europe the EU should really see this as an opportunity to lead on this new revolution in Web3. And also, uh, talking about uh, their member states, there should also be probably, they should be encouraged to take up this development and apply the technology, for example, as we were saying, to transform and digitalize their public administration systems. Do you think that we have enough attention focused on that, though? Because I've been following some like digital files and digital acts that have been published by the commission in recent time, and I'm I don't see a ton of reference to blockchain, crypto, et cetera, et cetera, decentralized digital applications. Do you think there should be a larger focus in that sense? Do you think there could be? I think that right now what 
what happened is basically that these first legislative proposals on uh, that deal with blockchain and crypto uh, basically all came out from DigiFisma, so from an area of financial services. So yeah. it really focused mostly on how mostly it is used right now, right? So the exchange of value online, the risks that exist when transfer, you know, transferring crypto assets from one user to another. So that's basically where the focus of the regulatory um, initiatives are is right now. But I have to say that we already see that other parts of the European Commission, but also other you know, uh, representatives in other bodies, are now getting interested in this topic. So from also from a more technological point of view. So yeah. DigiConnect will also be, for example, to talk about, you know, as we know, the, the, the DGs uh, in the European Commission, they will be more and more involved in studying how the technology can actually help across all these different sectors. And then we can expect, for example, DG Sante to be also on top of that when it will be the right time to see how this technology can effectively help the healthcare sector. So to answer your question, I think that yes, there will there can be more attention to the whole technology. There will probably more be more attention to it. Right now it's mostly focused on the financial services aspects of it, but there will be new initiatives coming up that are gonna be looking at it at the more holistically. Do you think that crypto maybe distracts from that, though? Because if we look at, I mean, the big story of the last two weeks <laughs> have been, has been FTX and how yeah. it crashed and lost billions and billions of dollars. Do you think that distracts from the larger focus on blockchain as a tool for other industries? Unfortunately, yes, because right now, of course, when these big stories happen, everybody just focuses on yeah. the cryptocurrencies, on the investment, on the speculation of it, and obviously it's tough to see the value of that, right? So when, when policymakers are looking at all these developments, they see, well, this is just something risky for our citizens, and we need to uh, tame it, and we need to regulate it, because otherwise they're going to, you know, <laughs> incur in these situations, which makes sense, but at the same time, it's a bit of a, of a shame if we lose track and lose sight of the real potential of the technology. Mm. So that's, uh, that's a bit of our challenge as well. Our daily work is really to show what, that we are here talking about an, an innovative technology that can really change so many things in all, so many different policy sectors and economic sectors. And um, you know we have to somehow clean up the narrative and uh, the debate from yeah. all the other problematic issues that there are. Mm, interesting, interesting. And, and pivoting a little back to regulation, what does successful regulation of blockchain look like? Because as I understand it, a large key selling point of the blockchain is transparency, is, you know, the consumer being empowered to do whatever they want mm -hmm. with it. And that kind of runs against what regulation stands for. How does a regulation of blockchain kind of coexist or how should it move forward? That's a very good question. And I have to say, um, you know, the industry, the crypto space probably was... Uh, not expecting to be regulated so fast, so quickly. Fair enough. They were actually hoping probably not to be regulated because they, they enjoyed that freedom that they had in this wild west of cryptos that yeah. uh, everybody was talking about. So unfortunately, they woke up and uh, realized that that was probably not going to be the case. And as Blockchain for Europe, to clarify, we were always actually calling for regulation, for yeah. a good regulatory framework that, again, would have protected consumers while while also allowing for this new technology to, to thrive and develop in Europe. So that's probably what a good regulation of blockchain looked like, right? So a regulation that regulates certain activities and protects consumers and users from potential risks that are actually out there, 
But at the same time, it's a regulation that uh, allow for companies to come to Europe, develop and uh, and establish here, knowing that there are some clear rules that they know exactly how they can operate, what they can do, what they cannot do. So uh, if we move actually talking about the specific market yeah. in crypto assets regulation, the Mika regulation, which everybody more or less has heard about, as Blockchain for Europe, we are quite satisfied how Mika ended up because although it does have some strict requirements for companies that want to provide certain services in Europe or issue certain crypto assets, especially for larger ones and for tokens that claim to have a stable value, uh, aka stable coins, we still believe that in the end it's a net positive regulation which will actually attract Web3 companies to operate in Europe because once they apply for a license, a Mika license, in one of EU member states, then they have this passported license across the whole EU and they have access to a market of over 500 million people. So that is something by itself is already great and it's a different approach to what the US, for example, is doing or has been doing so far where they are regulating by enforcement. So that is definitely something that we appreciate in the European Union approach to the regulation of blockchain. So in many regards, the European approach is actually more progressive or more favored by the industry than other. Indeed, indeed. And yeah. I have to say, even though there was a lot of criticism, in the end, I have to say, and you know, I'm, I hope that I can speak on behalf of the whole <laughs> industry, but I have to say that uh, it's definitely something good. It's a positive development. Yeah, because it's interesting because we like to make a big deal out of Europe as a regulatory powerhouse, re- really leading into like the Brussels effect, how we can globalize and become you know, the, the regulatory center of the world. That's what we're exporting here, <laughs> not, not power, but regu- yeah. regulations, right? And beyond the GDPR, a rising criticism is that there's not that many examples of that actually happening. I mean, the GDPR, which I just mentioned, yeah, that's a great example of that. But what's next? And I think we were talking earlier, can blockchain be next as that you know flagship exportation of the, the, the European Union regulatory ambitions? Probably yes, because to be honest, as I said, like Mika was a very good first step and I'm sure that many other jurisdictions are actually going to adapt themselves to it, right? Uh, and yeah. especially as similarly to GDPR, Mika does force, will force global companies to adhere to EU rules if, if they want to provide services to EU citizens. So yeah. by th- that same, you know, simple fact, that's already, you know, an ex- uh, exportation of our uh, regulatory initiatives uh, across the globe. Because uh, if other jurisdictions want to somehow uh, have a convergence of uh, legislative uh, frameworks, then they should probably pay attention to what the European Union has done and create uh, their own regulatory framework that somehow doesn't differ too much because that's the way that global companies will be able to operate both in the US and in Europe without having too many uh, compliance costs to be able to comply with different set of regulatory actions. Yeah, no, fascinating. I think that's a great example to to piece out because, I mean, even in my own work, we like to talk about the Brussels effect as being something we love and having more cases of that is something we really need to promote, even if it's a blockchain. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really going, you know, I have to say, maybe I'm a bit optimistic in that sense, but I have to say... <laughs> you are into blockchain, yeah, so you tend to all be optimistic. It, but, uh, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic that the, this will happen with the Mika regulation or with the following uh, potentially regulatory initiatives that will come out, out of it. That's actually something I would like to to touch upon because Mika, as I just said, was a first good step, a yeah. good first step, right? But then 
it does leave some questions unanswered. And that's what we're going to you know, uh, have to address in the coming months and years in what we call level two legislation, right? So, and key examples of these are, for example, on NFTs, so non-fungible tokens and decentralized mm-hmm. finance. These are other buzzwords that <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry to throw out there maybe at the end of this conversation, but it's very important also to mention because it's something that anybody that's has an interest in this in this topic in this sector will probably be thinking about those but it's an interesting point and it really means that our work is not done there's a lot more to look out for in the coming years and a lot more to to be looking yeah to be waiting for and to find out what will be the the real future regulatory framework of the european union for crypto assets wow that's a really good way to wrap it up i feel like i barely have to wrap it up anymore but uh (laughs) Any final thoughts on, on blockchain then? And any final, you know, reflections for its future? Because I can tell you're pretty positive. Do you want to reiterate? Yeah, no, I mean, in general, I think I would like to reiterate that it's a very interesting technological development that even though we are not probably going to see concretely in front of our eyes as regular EU citizens, it's actually ongoing in the background of what yeah. we uh, use on a, on a, in an every, you know, on, a da- on our daily life. So, you know, it's something that, again, your listeners will might, might not realize that it's happening, but it is happening. And so it's important to actually look out for what is happening to uh, keep in touch with uh, all these developments because it can be transformative for a lot of different sectors, a lot of different services. So even though you're not developing blockchain, even though you're probably not investing into cryptocurrencies and you work in a completely different sector, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't be paying attention to this. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's always a fascinating thing when we're talking about digital technologies. Because, I I mean, when we did the episode on AI a few weeks back, uh, my, my guest, Patrick, he was mentioning, oh, did you know AI is sorting like your Spotify playlist and stuff like that? And it's like it's fascinating how yeah. this comes into play. And I mean, who knows? It'll be probably on a blockchain <laughs> sooner or later. One so, day, one day yeah, for sure. Quite fascinating. Uh, a fun question to wrap it all up. I like to drop these at the end. Uh, more personal. So, wh- what are you most excited to be uh, popularly put on the blockchain? If I can ask it like that. Yeah, that's a very good one. Uh, I would say, uh, as I mentioned before, I think this decentralized social networks is what I'm really looking out for because we use social networks every day. I'm spending yeah. probably a bit too much of my time on my Instagram account <laughs> and all of that. But I realized that the, the system right now, as we know it, the economic incentives there are fundamentally broken because yeah. as users, we're just you know posting our pictures and that's it. You know, We get yeah. some likes out of it. Uh, that's the best uh, that we can get out of it. But in the future, if we think about a decentralized social network where I produce some content and I'm owning that content, right? It's not actually stored on, a, on the central servers of Meta or whatever. Yeah. That's, it's a whole paradigm shift that we're going to see in the next few years. So I'm very excited about no, that. No, I'm always looking up for the next Twitter alternative, you Indeed. know, considering <laughs> what's happening. So <laughs> we are hopefully we're going to get one soon, I have to say. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think this is a great way to kind of wrap it all together. Tommaso, you've been very illuminating on blockchain, all the concept, the regulatory dynamics. If people want to keep in touch, you know, follow a bit more on what you're doing on, on the latest developments, where should they be looking? 
I would say, I mean, until Twitter is out there, we can. Uh, I would definitely, uh, you know, encourage people to follow Blockchain for Europe on Twitter. We're quite active there, of course, and we try to keep our audience informed on everything that we're doing, mm-hmm. everything that is happening on the regulatory side of things. And in general, if you're listening to this and you're actually, you know, working in a blockchain company and you want to be part of this debate, you want to somehow try and influence the future regulatory framework for blockchain companies, then reach out, talk to us, because we are obviously looking out for new energies, new people that can help our efforts. And in the end, also what I would like to close on is that Brussels is, uh, you know, I I see in Brussels a very interesting cooperative approach with all the between all the actors that are involved in this so we are not the only association active in brussels and we are very much aligned with the other associations and we are cooperating on events on position papers so that is very refreshing to see compared to other industries right exactly yeah so yeah that is uh, that is uh, let's we can close on this positive note and really invite everybody to be part of this debate be with our Mm -hmm. our association or with another one it's really important to be out there to be talking with policymakers to be educated in them because obviously as we just yeah. found out it is a complicated topic to talk yeah. about right so no definitely i'll drop all those links in the description below if people are interested and i, I definitely recommend give them a like give them a follow check out some of the work on their website but thanks yeah, so much i think this about wraps it up how amazing is, how, how how are you feeling tomaso blockchain rejuvenated <laughs> absolutely absolutely and also now I, I found out that i can actually speak on a podcast well let's there see we what go. the audience thinks about <laughs> it but please let me know if there is any constructive <laughs> feedback on my podcast yes yeah. and if you the audience want to be in a podcast i have my email below if you ever want to hit me up uh, share your insights on your niche policy area feel free to do so i'm always looking for new voices and with that, I think I'm wrapping this up, and it was great having you on, Tomas. Thank you so much for inviting me. It was a pleasure. No worries. Until next time, everybody else. Great. Thank Bye. you.